with you. I've never been up in this part of the country. I think maybe the second time I've ever preached in the state of Missouri. Um, I'll just introduce myself real quick just so maybe I can connect that much more with you since you've never met me. Uh, this month I turned 38. My daughter turned, my youngest, eight months. My oldest daughter, eight years. And my wife, I won't tell you how old she is. Good news is she's younger than me. <laughs> but uh, she's not with me. My girls are not with me. That's a two-hour drive, but uh, was nothing for me. I got a good friend with me from our congregation, Lonnie, uh, sitting back. Don't mean to embarrass him, but he's sitting back here uh, smiling. If you recognize a visitor, you don't recognize a visitor back here. He's with me. He came and uh, accompanied me on the trip up here. I can't imagine what it would have been like long ago, like traveling on animals. <laughs> They just rode up here, you know, cool and easy. I've got an old car, but that baby's got air conditioning, and that thing gets me from point A to point B. Young people, are you listening? That's what's most important about a vehicle. Nobody cares what you drive except for you. You'll learn that eventually. Nobody cares what you drive except for you. I finally figured that out not too long ago. If you would, join me at John chapter 11 before we get into where the statement that we're going to be studying is found in John chapter 12. I'd like for us to walk together through this text. I'm the kind of guy that I'd like for us to consider what this passage means in its context. When Jesus was lifted up off the earth, that is, he was crucified, it provided many, many, many wonderful opportunities for mankind, including us. That's why we're here tonight, right? That's, I mean, that's why I'm here. I'm here because Jesus has afforded me all these opportunities that mean the most to God and to me because he's been lifted up. Of course, he was buried and he was resurrected from the grave. Our Lord is living, he's not dead, and he's in heaven at the right hand of God. To appreciate Jesus being lifted up, we need to consider the animosity and the opposition you ever faced any opposition because you're trying to do what's right? The longer you live on this earth, the more you try to do what's right. Unless you're trying to live the life of a hermit, you will receive opposition. And I contend that if you're trying to live the life of a hermit, you're not following the instructions of the master teacher. We can't be hermits. That doesn't mean we have to live out on the street or live with someone we don't know. But we have to be out among people, be in the world but not of the world. And so I want us to consider two key words as we walk through all of this together. These two words, if you, if, if you remember these two as it pertains to, to Jesus saying, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people or all men to myself. I think maybe I've done something that will be good for all of us. It's been good for me in my study. Okay. Here's the two words. First, the word opposition. And second, the word opportunities. Those are two key words that I want you to remember. And I'll be repeating those words as we go through this study together. Opposition and opportunities. Now I noticed in my preparation of this in John chapters 11 and 12, I studied a lot. The word glory is used a lot. Jesus did not receive glory, if you will, during his ministry the way he would like after his resurrection. That's what we generally think of. And that's what I aim to, to say now. I may not be using the right words. But when Jesus died, that was not his glory. Some have called that his passion. You know, his, uh, in the eyes of people, a great tragedy. Obviously, it was God's predetermined plan. We understand that. But that was not his glory. The glory of Christ is associated with him rising from the dead and going back to heaven sitting at the right hand of God, receiving the kingdom, as the prophet Daniel had said, Daniel 7, 13. Jesus had to um, be lifted up, though, on, and that's a reference, as we know from John, to his death on the cross. And I don't know how much you thought of this, but when I was young, I often thought only Jesus had died on the cross. And that was just, I didn't know. You know, when I heard dying on the cross, growing up, I grew up around the church, almost, don't hold it against me. I'm from Alabama. And that's the only word I know how to spell besides my name. Ha ha. But look, look. I'm not an Alabama football fan. Okay? And if you want to say amen, you can. It won't hurt my feelings. I'm not an Alabama football fan. 
but I'm from Alabama, and I'm a St. Louis Blues hockey fan, okay? I like hockey, okay? Am I in good company up here with that? Okay, all right. And, and I'm the only guy from Alabama that doesn't drink sweet tea anymore. I'm weird, you know? I'm as southern as they come. But now I'm on unsweet tea, St. Louis Blues hockey, and I don't care about football so much anymore. I could tell you some laughs about that, but I won't. Two key words, opposition and opportunity. Look with me at John chapter 11. We're familiar with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Toward the very end of Jesus' ministry, he, he raised one of his best friends from the dead. This became a point of great opposition from the religious leaders. Doesn't it seem like every time Jesus was out in public, he incidentally was stirring some kind of problem up? Obviously, he wasn't trying to. He only did those things that pleased the Father, he said. But it was always something that the Jewish leaders had against him. You would think those were the people that would be there to support and look at the Messiah as a most wonderful opportunity to learn, to grow, to be right with God, to usher in God's kingdom of the Messiah, etc. But nope, it was opposition, right? It was opposing him. So many opposed him. John has already written in John chapter 1 that he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. Remember John chapter 1. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that there were no Jews that obeyed God and obeyed Christ. But for the most part, most of them rejected him. So young people, old people, don't be surprised when we strive to do what's right if people oppose us. Don't be surprised. Jesus said that's going to happen. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Peter 3, or 2 Timothy 3, 12. It's going to happen. It's not like, you know, I wonder, wonder why this is happening. I'm trying to do right. I just don't get it. Yes, when we read Scripture, we do get it. It's, it's going to happen because light and darkness, hey, they don't mix. Kind of like oil and water don't mix. They don't go together. Let's consider beginning with chapter 11, verse 45, on the tail end of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. What happens? Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Oh, tattletales. I was reading that earlier. And I'm just, I was reading over this and over it. Verse 47, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come. And take away both our place and nation. There was their real problem. They were more focused on the temple, their own practices, their own faith, their own traditions. Remember, they knew where the Messiah was to be born. When they were asked, when the religious leaders were asked by Herod, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They knew the right Bible answer. Remember that? Matthew 2, 6. In Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Remember that? But they didn't travel six miles down there to see him, did they? <laughs> Instead, they started their little plots through Herod and others to oppose him, to stop him, opposition. What shall we do? If we let him alone, you know, the Romans are going to come and take away our place and our nation. And Caiaphas, the high priest, verse 49, he says, Y'all don't know anything. He says, Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not for the whole nation, that the whole nation should perish. As far as I know, as we know, that's all he said. That's all John recorded he said on this occasion. The next two verses are John's inspired, you know, explanation. Uh, demonstrating that, you know, the chief priests, they're convening a council. They're determining to oppose Jesus. And Caiaphas is trying to not preach God's word. Because the idea of prophesying can mean just foretelling, not foretelling. But he's saying a truth that he doesn't realize. His motive is something different. He meant one thing, but I'm thinking that inadvertently he prophesied another thing. Like he had something in mind, but obviously God had something else in mind about what his son would do. Again, look with me at verse 51. Now this, John wrote, he, Caiaphas, did not... 
He did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together and one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Again, that's not what Caiaphas was wanting Jesus to do. I think he's trying to find a way. Look, you know it's expedient that, that one person should die and not the whole nation perish. So it's good. It's right for us to kill Jesus. It's good and right for us to we get rid of him. We could go into the number of things, how he broke their Sabbath rules, how he claimed to be God. He certainly did that, and he certainly taught that truth, even though people in modernity try to say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did more than once. Amen. And when he was, on, he was under oath, you know, the high priest asked him, are you, are you the son of the blessed one, the Messiah? And he said, yes, I am, Mark chapter 14. So Jesus, did, he did declare that. Now, after this, it says, verse 53, Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews. This is, again, keep in mind, about three and a half years, you remember, his ministry? About three and a half years, the public ministry? So this is toward the very end of Jesus' public ministry. It's drawing very close to the last week of his life. And he is being opposed by the religious leaders to the point they are planning, they are conniving, they are plotting to murder him at this point. He's being opposed. So Jesus withdraws to a wilderness, to a city called Ephraim, verse 54. And you know, when we're opposed for doing what's right, sometimes we need to take a little rest. We need to go in our closet and pray. We need to kind of hang out with people that really love God and want to do what's right. When we're opposed. But you know what we tend to do when we're opposed and somebody puts us down or life is hard because we're trying to do what's right? We kind of tend to retreat on our own to the neglect of the support of others. And we don't need to do that. It's good to be alone in the closet, if you will, to pray to God alone. That's real good. But God does not intend for us to live on an island where we're just all alone. And I've known sweet people that, you know, I don't want to bother nobody with my problems. Well... I finally found the answer for that dear, that dear sister. I was reading Galatians 6, 2. I said, let, let, me, let me obey God's command to help bear your burden. <laughs> let me help try to fulfill the law of Christ. You can talk to me and my wife about it. You can talk to us as my wife and I visited her in a, in a nursing home. You can talk. I don't want to bother anybody. I know I don't want to bother anybody either, but I do want to fulfill God's law. I do want to do that. So when we are being opposed, I think, first of all, that would be a good thing for us to consider, that we ought to find places and times of, of rest and refreshment. And Jesus, verse 54, remained there with his disciples. 55 and 57 tell us that the Passover of the Jews was near, so there's people traveling toward Jerusalem. There are people that are seeking to speak to Jesus. They've heard about him while he's speaking in the temple. They're asking questions like, what do you think, that he will not come to the feast? Both the chief priests and the Pharisees, they've given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. So they've got a plan. If you see Jesus of Nazareth, seize him. That's the plan. Again, he's being opposed as he's doing God's will. And of course, God's will will require him to go up on Mount Calvary, right? And we're getting to that verse eventually, to be lifted up. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. Let's consider also, and this will be kind of mixed back and forth, of this opposition and then also the uh, opportunities that Jesus, that God placed before other individuals, including Jesus, and what that affords us. Let's consider chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 together. I was studying this. I thought, what's the significance of Jesus being anointed by Mary? Well, let's consider together that John could be drawing a distinction between who appreciates and accepts him and who has not. No doubt Mary did this to the Lord out of gratitude. Remember, the Lord had raised her brother and taught her many other wonderful things. But also out of reverence, I think. Probably other reasons, too. And it no doubt emphasizes his deity. She's realizing who he really is. He's not just a man. He's more than just a man. He's God's son, the son of God. And so here's an opportunity to glorify Christ 
Mary does that. Verse 1 beginning, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus uh, was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Again, remember, this is after Lazarus has been raised. You know, and people are going to want to see him. And that happens later. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. Again, opportunities. Mary has a good opportunity. She shows her acceptance, her, uh, I should say it like, her acknowledgement of Jesus, her acceptance of Jesus, and then her appreciation. You know, it kind of builds. When you acknowledge who Jesus is, then you embrace him and his teachings. Accept. Now, I know false teachers misuse that word. Oh, just accept Jesus. And they're not talking about what Jesus said to do to truly accept him and embrace his teachings. But we don't need to be afraid of that word. You know, the Bible teaches that concept. And then once we accept and embrace who he is, we appreciate him. We act. That's what faith is, remember? Faith is the action that you take based on what you believe. I'm going to repeat that. Faith is the action that you take based on what you believe. You say, where is that in the Bible? Hebrews chapter 11. The whole chapter. You see, faith is faith when it's changed us. We've acted on it. And so by that definition, atheists have faith. They absolutely do. The faith they have is based on what they believe. They believe there's no God, etc. We believe that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God, and he revealed God to man. He is God. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised, etc., He's at the right hand of God. He established his church. Here's some opportunities to glorify Christ. Mary does that. And again, the, the importance here, I think, is it draws a distinction between those who appreciate him like Mary and those who didn't like Judas. Here's this opportunity. Jesus has been teaching these great things. And, and, and Judas is over there pilfering in the money. It's like, dude, what are you doing? He's been a tough one for me to understand. I have questions about him and I don't know that I have the right answers I think I remember what the Bible says about him but I just have questions that I don't know God didn't reveal certain answers that my my curiosity might like to know but he's over here and he's not appreciating the Lord and others as well verses 9 through 11 again back to animosity and opposition there are a great number a great many of the Jews who know that Jesus is there at their house and, and they came not for Jesus sake only but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But, here's that opposition, but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. How dare they follow the evidence? How dare they follow what they see, what they heard, what is logical, where the truth leads them? It's only rational, it's only logical to go where the evidence leads. (laughs) You know, to be as unbiased as possible about anything and, and learn and listen, observe. Do your best to make discerning decisions. Use wisdom. Use the knowledge of God's word, etc. But the opposition, it's still there. And they want to not only kill Jesus, but kill the guy that he raised. Wow. What a mess. What a bunch of opposition. Then we read next in verses 12 through 19, Jesus' triumphant entry, it's called. We call it a lot. Verse 12 through 19, let's look at this. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, he's making his trip back. He's been out there in the wilderness in a city named Ephraim. He's coming back. This is the last week of his life. The people take branches of palm trees. They go out to meet him. They cry, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, 
sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, there's the word glorified again, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. Back to the opposition. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Remember they had already said, If you see him, arrest him. Y'all still ain't got him, as we'd say in Alabama. You still ain't got him. Look, verse 19. The world has gone. Everybody's going. And they're jealous and angry and there's animosity. It's sad to think that so many people are so opposed to Jesus. We never need to get this idea that Jesus never faced opposition. That if we follow Jesus, we won't be opposed. Somebody said, Aaron, you know you need to be more loving when you're preaching like Jesus. I agree. I agree. Sadly, I know where that love that Jesus had led him. It led him to Mount Calvary to be lifted up. The most loving person that ever lived. Nobody can say they're more loving than Jesus. Amen. Nobody was more kind than Jesus. Nobody. You can take all millions of loving people combined. They weren't more loving than Jesus. And he was opposed. He was killed the way he was. What a sad thought to think. The opposition that the world had toward Jesus. And it's really not any different. Even right here in your town. And the town where I live. It's, it's really not that much different. Jesus enters the city. And it's like a king in old times. Being paraded into a town or his town. To be coronated. Right? I remember the coronation of. Was it Elsa? The Frozen? Yeah, I've seen the Frozen deals. I've got two daughters. You know, Coronation Day. The time of Jesus being recognized. Obviously, we understand, you know, theologically, Jesus is coronated in heaven when he goes back. He receives the kingdom, etc. But this is part of that plan. This is part of the steps in that. And Jesus comes riding on a donkey, which I'm thinking represents peace, not war like a horse. Maybe there's some significance to that. I'm not sure. But the people are crying out, Messiah, oh, save. This is a, this is a, a Davidic idea that, that, that David's son would be the Messiah. And they're, they're calling on him as the Messiah. Deliver us, save us. And he's getting the praise that he deserves. There was an opportunity for here these people in public to to praise and adore Jesus, and they did. That was a really good thing. He did deserve that. And one thing that stands out in my mind here is that Jesus was doing what he needed to do, what God wanted him to do. He was reaching out to people in his ministry and even here and just everywhere along the way of Jesus' ministry, he was like he was reaching out to people, whereas the opposition was not. They were better than everybody. They were holier than thou, as we say sometimes. They looked down on those that were not just like them. We dare not be like that. There are people who don't look like we do. They don't act like we do. We don't, they don't talk like we do. And they are wrapped up in the world, and we dare not look down our noses at them. We need to remember we used to be like that. We were away from God and away from grace. We were sinners. We were doomed. We were headed to hell. We, we got to keep that in mind. That doesn't mean we approve of what is right, but it means we know where people are and we're doing what we can to reach them with the gospel and with the right attitude. Because like, if we have a bad attitude, it is not going to help. It's going to oppose the effort. Opposition is going to hurt and hinder Again, the religious leaders were not reaching out to the people. They were not helping them. You see that in the whole study of the New Testament. Verses 20 to 26, John 12, 20 to 26, the Greeks want to see Jesus, or at least some Greeks. Now, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and, said, asked, excuse me, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Jesus' ministry was so impactful. Though he did not go directly to the Greeks. Remember, he even on one occasion said, don't go to the Greeks. Just go to the household of Israel. You know, he had a timeline on everything. He was very purposeful in his ministry. We need to be too, you know. And the work that we do and the work that you do here in this area, be purposeful. Have a plan. It's not enough to say, well, our job is to seek and save lost. That sounds good. How are we going to do it? And who's going to be involved? And how are you going to be involved? And how are we going to work together? Otherwise, we can just all go home and not be a congregation. We can work and nobody knows what we're doing. You know, we can just work solo. Again, the Lord doesn't want that. He wants a collective group. He wants a local church. He wants us to work together. Obviously, there are individual efforts that we make, but there's collective efforts that we make, much in addition to church services, Bible classes, which are very important. But much in addition to that, we work together as a team, as a family. But though Jesus did not go directly to the Greeks, they were seeking him. While the Jews as a whole were rejecting him, the Greeks were falling down at his feet. And this is not the first example of someone who was not directly a Jew that came to Jesus and asked a favor or asked for healing or asked for something. You know, today we have people that are born into good circumstances. And that includes myself. I was reared around the church from the time I was born. Maybe some of you young folks here the same way. You've always been a part of this congregation. You grew up here. You don't remember ever being anywhere else. This is your home church, etc. That's a good thing. Don't take that for granted. Amen. Don't get bored with it. Well, I'm bored. I've been here all my... No, don't you dare. One of these days, Lord willing, you will grow up and realize, I was super duper blessed. I look at my life and I'm like, I've had an easy life compared to many people. And I attribute much of that to the godliness of my parents and my grandparents. That doesn't mean I've never been through anything hard. But, you know, it's really good to have the blessings of godliness in a home. That's the way God intended it to be. Don't think, oh, it's better to not grow up in the church. It's not better either way. God's will is for parents to teach their children. <laughs> not grow up in an atheistic home and then become a Christian. Now, if you did that that way, good job, good deal. I'm glad you're a Christian. Praise God. But the way God wants it to be is where parents teach children when they're in the home. And you grow up, you become a Christian, and you live for God, etc. We have people today born into good scenarios like the Jews, but they miss it. It's right there. They have the Bible classes, the Bible class teachers, the moms and dads who are apparently supposedly living Christianity before them. And then they grow up, and they didn't stick, they didn't take, it didn't become their faith. Maybe their parents made them or something, who knows. But then we have people that are not born into a good scenario. And I'm likening that to the Greeks. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have the covenant promises of God under the old covenant. But they were falling at the feet of Jesus. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. That's why we came here. We want to see Jesus. What an attitude to have. We should all want to see Jesus. Every day. Every day. And when the Greeks begin to come, it seems that Jesus knows, you know, there's a portion of the Jews that are following him, albeit maybe small. And there are also Greeks coming. And now his time has come. Sir, we, we, we want to see Jesus. And Jesus says, when he's told that, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And that's an interesting statement because throughout the book of John, Jesus says, and John writes, My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not My hour has come. <laughs> you know, a divine clock. And no matter what opposition was against Jesus, he was staying right on that time clock. God was providing for him. 
And I'd like to think that that concept is true, at least in part of us. Now, we're not the Son of God on that same mission, but as the Son of God's people, God will bless us providentially. He will guide us providentially. He will open doors of opportunity, even though there's opposition around us. The Jews as a whole were not ready. They were still not ready, even after Acts 2, to accept Greeks, to accept Gentiles. Again, we must be people who are willing to accept Greeks. <laughs> the people who are not a part of us right now. Of course, the condition is the gospel. It's our job to give them that opportunity to sow the seed in their mind and in their heart. As Garland Elkins used to say in school, you boys, you know I carry around these Bible tracts everywhere. He said, you can give those to people. He said, I know most people throw them away. But he would say, and he's gone on to his reward. Now he'd say, but at least you gave them the opportunity. And that's something to think about. You know, in our minds, we make evangelism and reaching people with the gospel so complicated. Like we're going to have a sit-down Bible study with everybody. Every time we talk to somebody, if they don't look the right way, they're automatically checked off the list or whatever. And it's just one little thing with one little seed of the gospel. You never know where it may go. Put a little good deed in there too, sincere from the heart. You never know where it may go. Jesus says, verse 24, in effect, he says, look, to be glorified, I must first die. And Jesus' death would result in much fruit. And that's what he means in verse 24. When he says that if a, if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Put that thing in the ground, boom, it comes up. And so Jesus' death would produce fruit. There would be people, if, remember, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men, all peoples to myself. So Jesus had to die to draw people to God. That's the calling card, if you will, of the gospel. It's not the building. It's not whether we're white or black or tall or short or fat. And as you can say, I never made it. That was my dream when I was a kid, be tall. Boy, I missed it so bad. It's not about how tall or how short you are. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about people knowing who their creator is and how much he loves them, how much power he has, and how he's worthy to be served. We want to see Jesus, they say. Well... If we hold securely to our life in this present age, we're going to miss out on the better life. And Jesus said that in verses 25 and 26. If you love your life, you'll lose it. And if you hate your life in this world, you'll keep it for eternal. Those are hyperboles. He's speaking in extremes to prove a point. If you hold your life dear on this earth, you will not lose yourself in him and live for him. It says about me, myself, and I. Well, you'll miss him. And you won't make it to the eternal home. In life or death, whether we're humbled or we are in a time of glory, the true servant of Christ will continue to serve God. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Well, where Jesus was going was to a humiliating death. That would ultimately lead to his glory, for God's glory. So to follow Jesus, we've got to count the cost. Following Jesus is not a club. Yeah, it's not some mere hangout. It, 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 it's, it's, it's recognizing who he is and being motivated by what he's done. To live by what he taught. To be totally bought in. Jesus said some of the hardest things to the biggest crowds. Have we ever thought about that? Things that today, people today would blush. Oh, Jesus, don't say that. Don't say that. My mama's here and they're from a denomination. Don't say that, Jesus. You're cramping my style, Jesus. Really? Now in verses 27 to 30, Christ fulfilled God's purpose. God's purpose for him. Beginning with verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Remember, he's real close. Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is kind of a peculiar account. 
Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Wouldn't it be neat to have a sound clip of that? I don't know for sure if we'd want to hear it or if when we hear it, heard it, what would happen? I don't know. But some people thought it was thunder. It was loud. Therefore, the people, verse 29, who stood by and heard it, said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Paul's there. You know, rather than requesting that he be saved from that hour, Jesus petitioned his Father to be glorified. There's a lesson for us. The easy thing to do when we're struggling is say, God, get me out of this. <laughs> Deliver me. And I don't think it's wrong to pray for rescue. I don't think it is. But we can't, like, abandon our identity so we can get rescued. <laughs> we keep our identity as God's servant. And instead of just begging to get out of something, God help me to do the right thing while I'm here. We know we must go through trials, James 1. Those trials perfect our faith. Now look, I got, we got to get this right here. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. The trials that we face as Christians are different than the trials that the world faces. They face the trials of sickness, divorce, economic problems, finances, death. All they, Atheists deal with that. That's not real biblical trials. No, those are real problems that we have to deal with. But if you quit the faith right now, you're still going to have those problems. Okay? The problems that we have now that are unique to being Christians are being persecuted for doing what is right. Atheists are not persecuted for doing what is right in the sight of God. And neither are others who are outside of Christ. And so that's something very unique to think about. And we ought to follow Jesus' example instead of saying, you know, get me out of this hour. God, I guess I'm here for this hour for, for some reason. Like, yeah, I know what it is. It's to serve you. <laughs> Help me. You know, you know how we deal with that? Don't, have you ever said that? I have. Why am I here? What in the world? Well, I, I'm here to serve God. I mean, that's a simple answer. But no matter what situation I'm in, and I'm not talking about, you know, we get messed sometimes. It's our own fault because we sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're trying to do what's right, and you're just in a place and a situation. You don't really know, but the point is, instead of wondering, what's my purpose? Just go back to Scripture. No, well, my purpose is to do what's right. My purpose is to serve God. No matter what's going on in my life. And pray that God will be glorified. And I think this is part of developing and I'm hoping and I'm praying to God that I will grow in this area, that I will seek to glorify God. Like I'm going through this right now. Help me to see your glory and goodness and may my life glorify you. May others see you. Instead of just get me out of it, get me out of it, get me out of it. I think of Acts chapter 4, how the Christians were being persecuted and they gathered together and on that occasion they didn't pray, get us out of it, get us out of it. They said, give us boldness. Help us to be more bold and oh, I pray I'm like that. You know, we talk about America falling. Okay, let's say it does next week. Are we going to be bold? Are we just going to quit the faith? Because you know America fell, so let's quit the faith. It's not worth it. Are you kidding? Whether America's got zillions of dollars or zero dollars, Jesus is worth serving. And God deserves to be glorified. Help me no matter what the situation is. Even if I'm at dire straits, I'm at the end of my walk. Help me, God. Help me to glorify you. That's what it's all about. It's not about me. I think it appeared from outward circumstances that Jesus was giving, excuse me, Satan, I should say, was giving Jesus a verdict, if you will. Putting Jesus on trial. You know, the Father speaks from heaven and confirms that he's doing God's will. And that simply means, you know, you're either going to oppose him or you're going to use that as an opportunity to serve him. You know, reject him or accept him. It's that simple. And then Jesus, verses 32 uh, to 34, let's see, let me find my place. Yeah, 32 to 33 or 31 to 33. I'll get it in a minute. Jesus begins to teach about how Satan's going to be cast out and Christ himself. He will be exalted after he's lifted up. Let's look at that. So Jesus says, verse 30, This voice that you heard did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, notice the and, is connected. The two verses go together. And I've thought about this a lot. How did the two statements go together? Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples 
to myself. The word now indicates an hour that had already begun. And if you tie that back into, Father, I want you to be glorified. The answer to that prayer was Jesus doing God's will to glorify God. I came to this point for this purpose to do God's will. That's why I'm here. So when you're in your life, you're serving God. Why am I here? What? Your point, no matter what circumstance, is do God's will. Amen. I mean, I'm not trying to be ugly, but it ain't complicated. We as humanity, not this congregation, we, we make it so complicated. I need this purpose-driven book. I need to read this preacher, that preacher, this commentary. You know, okay, if you want to burn some time, okay. It's not a sin, but what you really need is this. What we really need is the Word of God. We need to be so connected and so zeroed in on the Word that, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time to do a whole lot else of reading. You know, you can read a few other things that will help some, but it's when it supplements what God's Word says anyway, you know. So, well, I think, like I said a moment ago, it appeared outwardly that the world was... Satan was giving Jesus some kind of verdict. But, but I think now that I've studied this, by putting Jesus to death, the world was pronouncing a judgment upon itself. Think about that. Because, again, if Jesus dying, being crucified, being lifted up, would draw people to him by killing him, you're, you're rejecting Satan. You're making it more complicated and difficult for Satan to draw people. Because now there's this drawing power that whosoever will <laughs> can come and freely partake. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned. John 5.19, most assuredly I say the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. And there's a number of verses about believing in him. John talks about that a lot. Jesus said, the ruler of this world. We know who that is. That's Satan. And I read one place where the Jews, they thought he was called that because he led the Gentile people. You read that phrase, ruler of this world, three times in John. John 14, 30, John 16, 11, where we're at. Satan is the master of those who refuse to believe. And I think it appeared that Satan was judging Jesus. The trial, the mock joke trials. I use that to describe how they were terrible. They weren't funny. The anguish that he endured, the death, the being nailed on the tree. But it was actually in the verse, in reverse, by treating the Son of God the way he did, Satan was inadvertently dethroning himself. I don't know that I've ever really thought about it that way, but it makes sense when you think about Jesus saying, if I am lifted up, I will draw all peoples to myself. He obviously doesn't mean every person in the world. It would have to be interpreted in light of the Bible, God's will, Jew and Gentile, you know. All peoples of all races, of all nationalities, of all languages, and all, etc. They can come to me. And here's an application for us in that. Satan only had authority over people because people then, as they do now, allow him to have it. We could talk about, you know, sin reigning and death reigning and all that and Jesus answering the curse, and, and that's important. But, but bottom line, even under the old covenant, nobody could say the devil made me do it. I had to do what was wrong. It's always a choice. That's why long ago, you know, Joshua would say, like, you know, choose this day whom you will serve and those kinds of things. Satan only had authority because people allowed him to have it. He's the accuser. He's the liar. Satan rules people when they elect him to rule. Think about political leaders and being elected and ruling and reigning. Now, opportunities in life are limited. I wish I had more time. Verses 34 to 43. Jesus said about being lifted up. That signified what death he would die. His crucifixion. And they go on to ask questions about the Messiah. You know. We thought the Messiah said he'd live forever on the earth. Well, no, he didn't. You don't know your Bible. You need to know more. Prophecies never said he'd live forever on the earth. He would live forever, but not as Messiah on the earth. And their opportunity to learn the truth and escape the errors that they knew or they believed <coughs> excuse me, would soon pass. In a little while, Jesus said, verse 35, a little while longer the light is with you. And we know in that context, that's because Jesus won't be there much longer. 
But that concept is true today. A little while longer, we have the light. You know, it's a little while longer. Verse 36, or excuse me, 35. A little while longer, the light's easy. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. And then John quotes Isaiah. How Isaiah said, seeing they don't see and hearing they don't hear, they don't believe, they don't obey. Nevertheless, how many times have we heard that verse? Nevertheless, I never knew what the nevertheless was for until I prepared for this. I'm ashamed of that. I always heard that verse quoted. Nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless what? Well, Isaiah had said the people at large do not accept Jesus. They don't follow. Nevertheless, there were many of the rulers that did believe, but they wouldn't confess it because there's that word glory in it. They wanted the glory, the praise, the honor of men rather than the glory, the praise, the honor of God. But Jesus says, look, only by walking in the light can you be a child of the light. And after this exchange, it says that Jesus hid himself from them. Now there's a little dissertation, if you will, verses 42 to 50 there. But after this, this is the end of his earthly ministry. John 13 to 17 is where he's ministering to the apostles, not publicly, privately. Let me try to wrap this up. By Jesus being lifted up, I think his deity is proclaimed. His death on the cross shows that he is indeed God, the Son of God. And his mission is fulfilled. And that mission benefits all of us like nothing else. And him being lifted up, it shows his authority, his power. But also, by his being lifted up, God's love is expressed. That's incredible. We say this often. God knew before the world began that we would sin. He knew. If he knows everything about everything, that includes you and me. And every bad mistake, every gross sin that we've done, he knew, but yet he loved us. And as Christians... His desire is that as his people, we pray to him. I still haven't gotten through this one, y'all. Even though he knows everything about everything, he wants me to tell him everything that's on my heart, and he's not bored, he's not aggravated, he's not angry. He wants me to have that relationship with him through a knowledge of his word and through my faith and praying to him as a child of God. What kind of friend? (laughs) Just imagine if you knew everything, everything before your friend told you. And you listen for an unlimited amount of time for the rest of your life. No conditions. No, not your schedule. No, that doesn't count. Jesus, God, he's never busy. He can't, or he can't hear his people. Or Jesus isn't advocating and interceding for his people. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. If we live to be 110, it's great, isn't it? John 3, Jesus had said that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man would be lifted up. You remember the serpent, the pole rather, that represented a a serpent. It was raised up as a standard. You remember what happened when they looked at it, they were healed from the venomous bites. I I hate snakes. You know, I'm like the old comedian. They're the devil. It's in the Bible. You know, it's like... It's snakes, but I know some of you, you know, you're like, mm, snakes are cool. Okay, keep them up here in Missouri, you know. But more power to you. But then, can you, I always had this fear of a snake. God, I, used to play, I used to play in the woods all the time growing up in Alabama. But I always had it, yeah, my leg. just had this fear. Saw too many movies, probably, you know, just stay away from them snake movies. But here they are out in the wilderness, roaming around, complaining against God, even though he's giving them everything they need every day. And they start getting by these, bitten by these venomous snakes, and they have to look at this pole, this standard, you remember? The serpent that Moses raises up, and they'll be healed. You know, in the minds of men, they say, that's crazy. But it wasn't. It was God's way. But remember why they needed to look at it? Well, it's because the venomous bites, right? Yeah, but you remember why the venomous bites? Sin. And that's our problem. Sin. To live a life apart and away from God. Sin. The Son of Man was lifted up to save us spiritually from the fatal venom of sin. And the question for us today is, 
first, Jesus being raised up, him being lifted up, does that mean so much to us that we believe that he did that for the whole world, and that includes us, and that through that being lifted up, he is drawing you to him. You say, I want that. That's the life. That's the master. That's the ruler I want to serve. Not myself, not someone else, but him. I want that. I want him. He died like that for the sins of the whole world, including me. And another question, because most of us, I'm sure, of accountable state are Christians tonight. Are we lifting him up? Are others seeing Jesus being lifted up? You know, when you lift something up, you don't go, you know, see my Bible? See my Bible? When you lift it up, you lift it up. You know, you lift it up. When a preacher preaches, the Word of God, he doesn't go, you know, the Word of God. What if I came up here in the whole sermon? You know, what in the world is wrong with him? To teach God and to live for God, we've got to lift him up. Can't be ashamed of him. That's what Paul meant when he wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He, he means, Jesus doesn't cramp my style. I'm not embarrassed of him. I'm not embarrassed of the gospel. I'm not afraid to totally go all in on Jesus and his teaching. I don't care what people say. I don't care if everybody at school and at job laughs at me. I don't care. What I care about is how Jesus was lifted up. And how he told me that if I follow him, I'll fish for people. So that begs the question. If we are not fishing for people, who are we following? And let me get more personal for myself and you. When's the last time somebody told you no to a Bible study? When's the last time someone told you no? Leave me alone. Because you were gently with compassion talking about Jesus and how Jesus has been lifted up for them. If we have to think, wonder, and sadly, folks, I'm thinking I have to think a little too much on that. That's not good. It needs to be often that we're fishing for people because to follow the one that's been lifted up, we ourselves must lift him up. Jesus did not die on the cross so we would merely come to a church building. It's a whole way of thinking so that others can have this opportunity too. Remember, opposition, and remember, what was it? Opportunity. The question is, are we opposing him? And I dare say any of us, no one here would go, oh yeah, I'm opposing him. No one would say that. Not in a church building. A church building. Not people professionally to be Christians, but you know, by the things we put in our minds, the goals that we make, the things that, you know, give us our kicks, that we get excited about. It could be that those things are opposing Jesus. But, you know, we come to all the church houses, so we think we're okay. No, 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 no. There were many that believed in him, but they didn't confess him. Are we confessing him? Are we telling that good news about him? he's been lifted up? You know... Here's what I found in my life. I wasn't as grateful for him being lifted up as I should. Because I, I wasn't telling anybody. But in my heart, Satan tricked me. I, I do. I love him. I love him. But I wasn't confessing him. I was afraid I might get thrown out of the synagogue. I was afraid I might get ostracized. Folks, be prepared. If you're going to serve Jesus the way Jesus said to serve him, you're, you're, going to, you're going to be persecuted. It's going to happen. Two main points, opposition and opportunity. We cannot oppose Jesus privately or publicly and then enjoy his blessings. Probably the saddest tragedy is for those who think that they're going to enjoy God's blessings. But yet they have been deceived by sin. It can happen to anybody. It can happen to the evangelists. It can happen to the elders. It can happen to the deacons. It can happen to the brothers. It can happen to the sisters. It can happen to the husbands. It can happen to the wives. We must acknowledge, accept, and appreciate him by lifting him up.
Let me close with this. Is he worth lifting up? You know, I think hockey's worth talking about when I have time. Because I like it. Being from Alabama, there ain't really nobody in Alabama I can talk to about. <laughs> There's a few minor league hockey teams there. They're figuring something out. Don't we talk about the things that we like? Yeah. Sometimes we talk about the things we don't like. We do, but... You know, when Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, that means I, I want everything about you. You know, I, I love you so much. I made you. I provided a way for you. I want you to live the good life. As John 10.10, 10, same book. Live the abundant life. Old folk, young folk, don't be tricked by Satan. Don't believe his lie. That the good life is living how you want to live apart from God. What a lie. And if we live for ourselves and we don't live by him being lifted up, we don't lift him to others, when we come to the end of the life, it will be the greatest tragedy we've ever heard of because it will be right here on us, on self. It's like, I mean, I just can't imagine. You know, my prayer is that I do not so sin so as to throw away my salvation. My desire is to not so sin, to fall away and be lost. It is possible. It's not that we lose it. Oop, I accidentally lost it. Oop, I lost my keys. No, but you know, you can throw it away. You can say one thing with your mouth and another with your heart and your actions and you throw it away. And you don't lift it up like it ought to be lifted. Well, if there's something I've said from God's Word that has motivated you about lifting Him up, about seeing how important him being lifted up was for you and for me. We've just got to take that personal. If we don't take it personal like Paul, he gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20, then it's always somebody else. It's what the preacher says. It's what mama believes. It's what my grandpa believes. Forget them. This is about you and God and his word. Y'all have a song of invitation like we do back home. That is not a bad tradition, especially if you put your heart and mind into it. Now, if you just go through the motions, it's never good to go through the motions. We need to live in the moment, preparing for the future, obviously, but moving from the past and pressing forward. We need to look at him that's been lifted up. He was buried. He was raised up. He was raised up, and ultimately he was lifted up into heaven, and he's in heaven. He, we're on his side. There's nothing too great for the Lord. And here tonight, you may be burdened with some thoughts and feelings. You may be burdened with some sin in your life. You, you may just have a, a, what we think of as an earthly physical trouble. Sickness, death. And Satan is trying to use that to pull you away from what you know is right. I think the scriptural answer is this. Look back to Jesus dying for you. Know that he did that for each of us and it's personal. It's personal to each of us. No matter who we are, where we've been, what we've done, where we're going. And it must change our lives. Remember, faith is the action that you take based on what you believe. So if you have faith, act on it. That's faith. Tonight, if you've not obeyed the gospel of Christ, you've not been baptized into Christ, you've not been born again, die to sin and repentance. Changing your heart about God and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, Hebrews eleven six. That his son is the savior of the world, the only one who can save from sin, Acts 4, 12. Come believing that he's the son of God, John 8, remember John 8, 24. Come trusting him, changing your heart, dying to sin and repentance, being buried in the waters of baptism. To contact the saving merits of Jesus' death. Think about that. Is there one here tonight that's been thinking about being baptized? Maybe you've been studying. Maybe someone else here knows you have. Maybe nobody knows. God knows. And through the gospel, he's still calling you to look at the one who's been lifted up so that you will in turn lift him up in your life and in others. And to others. Tonight, as a child of God, if you've grown discouraged or hurt or worried, take this opportunity now as a time that you can have your brothers and sisters pray with you and for you.
whether it be at the invitation song or whether before you leave, you know, we need to be a praying people to support one another through life's hardships, through the difficulties that we have. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. We need to be those kinds of people because Jesus has been lifted up for us. There's no greater sacrifice that's been done. And oh, I, I love, I love police. I love fire personnel. I love emergency personnel. I could not go and find someone on the side of the road and mangled and bloodied. And but if I need them, I want them to be there. Uh, there's no greater sacrifice than the one that Jesus made for the whole world. And tonight you have the opportunity to lift him up in your own life and in the life of others. If you need to respond, do it tonight. We'll sing a song of invitation. Hope that we'll think about these things and be encouraged. Let's stand together and let's sing.